Hey everybody, welcome to my Gen Con 2019 Top 10 Recap. I uh, just got back the other day from Indianapolis. This actually would have been out a day earlier, but I kind of lost my voice there for about a day. Not really anything to do with the convention. I think it was because I was passed out like this on the flight on the way home and was just sucking in all the air conditioning. Just kind of mangled my voice for about a day. Uh, so I posted a bunch of videos uh, during the con. I'll put a link to the geek list and playlist of those videos. Just some daily recaps, a couple of playthrough videos and so on. Uh, so if you want a little bit more detail on some things, go ahead and definitely watch those. Uh, but let's kind of jump into it. Obviously I had a great, fantastic time. Uh, I think I would be lying if my favorite part of the convention wasn't riding uh, Lime scooters all over Indianapolis. They have these, they're just everywhere covering every street of downtown Indianapolis. And sort of the vibe I got was about half the people seem to really enjoy them and half the people hate them. Uh, they have them in the next town over, over in Washington State uh, from where I live. They don't have them around here. Uh, but we had a blast kind of just mobbing around town, going to lunch and things like that with them. And just uh, had a great time. You know, you scan the app and you get going and you start riding around. And uh, it costs you a couple of bucks to get somewhere, but it's pretty breezy and snappy to get somewhere. And apparently it's a little, little bit uh, uh, environmentally friendly. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how truthful that is, but I think it is a little bit. Uh, but we anyway, we had a great time doing that. And uh, <laughs> that would probably be my favorite game of Gen Con is mobbing around uh, downtown Indianapolis in scooters. Especially on Saturday night, that was actually quite fun. Uh, and speaking of uh, Saturday night, uh, just to kind of, kind of recap some of the stuff uh, before I get into the top 10. If you want to skip this, you can click the timestamp down below. I had a great time at the Secret Cabal uh, gaming podcast uh, meetup. And they had that over at the Alexander Hotel. A great time. Got to meet a lot of folks. Uh, introduce myself to some different folks. And uh, just a general uh, good time. It's always a good time to kind of sort of close out the convention for me uh, at that uh, at that meetup. Uh, because it's on Saturday night. And I usually bug out of there early on Sunday morning to kind of avoid the traffic of leaving and all that stuff. And get home to my family and all that stuff before the, the work week starts back up. So that was a lot of fun to do that. And I just kind of want to make one mention, sort of an honorable mention, before I get into uh, the top 10. Uh, one of my most anticipated games that was higher up, I guess you'd say, on my list was uh, Black Angel. And I didn't get a chance to play that. I got a chance to kind of start diving through the rules of that. Uh, they had two copies of that in the Hot Games room from Board Game Geek over in the Higher Regency. And man, that thing was checked out all the time, all the time. And I was hoping to snag it, you know, dive into the rules, chew on it, and then hopefully teach it some, to some folks and, you know, get it played. Uh, the little bit that I did get into it made it seem really, really interesting. I really liked the theme and the vibe of it of kind of controlling these different sort of AI mechanisms to, uh, you know, make the shift of the ship uh, survive its, its journey and to try to find a new planet for humanity and all that kind of stuff. So it seemed really, really interesting, but I didn't get a chance to play it. That's one that kind of slipped through my fingers there that I was really hoping forward uh, to looking at. And uh, But we'll see. We'll probably try to get a copy of that, uh, hopefully sometime before Essen. We'll see, though. I'm not sure how available it's going to be. It also did sell out really quickly, I believe, on Thursday uh, at the show. But let's go ahead and jump into my top ten. And the first thing is not actually quite a game. It's not scooters, but it's not quite a full game. And that is Taburu from uh, Come On, or Cool Mini or Not. And they were giving uh, demos to press folks uh, in the booth. And I didn't actually get a chance to get in there, but I talked to about three or four different press folks. I talked to 
Roy from the, the Dice Tower, as well as the, the folks at Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and then uh, David from Man vs. Meeple. And between the three of them, I really got a good, clear breakdown of, of the technology and everything like that. And honestly, I was a little bit skeptical hearing about this. If you're not familiar with what Taburu is, it's basically like a digital mat that they're designing a new version of Zombie Side for, but it's going to be opened up for anybody to make games uh, for this sort of console, if you will. Any company can kind of come in and make it, but uh, Come On is going to uh, be kind of the first to use it, and I think they're funding it in some ways. And so you can basically play Zombie Side on it, okay, big whoop, but it's digital. And you hook up like an iPad or an iPhone to it, and each player can have their own phone with their own player dashboard. And then you move these miniatures and, and dice and things like that that have RFID chips, and there's some Bluetooth in the dice. And you don't really have any cards or anything like that that you have to keep track of. You just kind of move them around on the board that has these kind of magnetized areas uh, that connect to this mat. And you kind of just play the game like that, and it's all digital. So the digital side of it, kind of enhances sort of the atmospherics, the sound effects, plays some animations, does some interesting story arcs and things that are a little bit more difficult to do with cardboard and cards. But for me, the thing that kind of brought it home, and David from Man vs. Meeple and I talked at length about this, actually at the Secret Cabal meetup, and it really kind of blew me away, is basically so, because it's connected to an app, it can also be basically connected to the internet, uploading stuff to the cloud. So, theoretically, I could be playing kind of my copy here in Idaho, and then Dilly could be playing his copy over in Timbuktu, and we could be playing synced up at the same time. So we're both playing kind of a physical miniatures board game, but sort of in real time, but across the earth. So that sounds really cool to me, because I've got a couple of friends online and stuff that, you know, where I was like, hey, it'd be nice to like try to Skype this game, and you know, you could, I'll show the camera here, and then you play this, and we can play together online. And sometimes games will uh, work okay with that, or you can use something like Tabletop Simulator, which I'm not really into, and you know, play kind of board games at a distance. But even folks locally here, I can think of sometimes where it's like, well, we'd really like to get together to play this specific game, but, you know, the schedule doesn't work out. It's not something we bring to our normal Thursday night group. Uh, but it would be cool to do, you know, just set this up in my room and, you know, be connected and, and, you know, kind of communicate through the app or whatever and play it at a distance. And that just sound that just, to me, that was like the killer app part of it. You know, moving around and having a story be driven by an app and stuff, you know, and the dice are Bluetooth wired up and, you know, they calculate your rolls and all. You can handle lots of calculations. That's cool. Uh, but that's kind of like in the realm of just pure video game to me. Whereas because I can play it like at a distance, I can still play the board game. I still have that social aspect of it. Even though we're not sitting next to each other, theoretically now, and this has to be proven out obviously, is we can still kind of have that similar face-to-face -face interaction uh, through this online technology. So maybe you fire up Skype or something like that or FaceTime and then you can run the app and have all that kind of stuff be handled. So that to me was a very, very interesting uh, idea. I did get a kind of a ballpark sense of the cost. I'm not gonna comment on that because I don't know for sure. Things can obviously change and I'm really not at liberty to say, but it felt reasonable to me. Uh, so I don't know what the cost is gonna be, so maybe they increase it and then you say, Joel, I thought you said it was reasonable. I'm not gonna tell you. But what they kind of uh, hinted at to me seemed reasonable. So I was pretty excited about Taburu. Uh, and so I look for that coming out. I don't know when, but it's it's going to be interesting to at least watch. I don't know that I would get it myself for sure, you know, but it's still something I think worth looking at. 
Uh, so the number nine or the next game, this list is sort of ballpark in order, but we'll just go from 10 to nine in this case. Uh, number nine is Horrified. This is a new game from the designers at uh, Prospero Hall. They also did Jaws, which I reviewed a few weeks ago and really liked. Horrified is basically all of the kind of classic movie monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, the creature from the Blue Lagoon, uh, all, you know, all those kind of old movie monsters are sort of invading this town. And you, as the the uh, the heroes, are trying to you know thwart them. Had a chance to play this one and really liked it. This wasn't really on my radar, but it seemed to be on a lot of folks' radar uh, that were attending the convention. So I got you know pulled into a game of it. It was a really a lot of fun. It was pretty simple in terms of the mechanics. I would say it's probably right at what you might call something like a gateway game for folks uh, because the theme is well is very much you know sort of entry level everybody kind of is, it probably is a little familiar with those old classic movie monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein and things and it has some really quick and snappy mechanics that make it uh, very easy to pick up and play and you know it seems to be able to accommodate multiple player counts uh, I talked to some folks though that have played it a few different times and they said there's actually a little tweak you probably want to do when you're playing at a different player count. So let's say you're playing a two-player game. You probably want to bump up the monster count to four monsters. Whereas if you're playing with five players, you might want to drop that down maybe even two monsters. And I think that's going to take some uh, getting used to and maybe some you know sort of work by the community to kind of feel out what the best sort of configuration is. Uh, because some folks that I know played a five-player game with four monsters. And that they just got demolished before they really even could start playing. And the particular game that I was involved in, we played five players with three monsters, and that was it was a rough go of it. I mean, we got we made a little bit of headway into sort of killing off one of the monsters, but not really. Uh, so the game is going to scale very differently based on player count and number of monsters. And uh, so there's a little bit of sort of debate about you know maybe the rulebook should be a little bit clear about that. But the rulebook does I, apparently say that you can scale it, but I think there is probably an ideal scale for the player count. So that's something to just keep in mind. And uh, definitely, I'm still very interested into getting this and playing it further uh, because I, regardless, we got our we got our butt kicked in the game I played, but I still was like, well, I'd really like to play it again. I can see some things that we would even do differently, even though maybe we made it a little bit harder on ourselves uh, than we needed to. Uh, so that is horrifying. It's a great production as well. Uh, definitely take a look at that one. Uh, the number eight was a big surprise. A lot of these are going to be surprises on this list. Um, and this one is a, a new game from Oink Games called Nine Tiles Panic. I think I talked about this one in the day one or day two video of my Gen Con coverage. Uh, really just didn't know where this one was coming from, but really, really enjoyed it. Played it several times, actually. And if I had to quantify it, I would say it's probably Galaxy Trucker in one minute. Uh, basically, what you do is you take... Uh, nine tiles each. You all have the same set of nine tiles. They're double-sided. They got different weird artwork on them and things. And then you flip over these three cards. They're theme cards. And they basically tell you what you're trying to score that particular round. And so you play a couple of rounds. You play to a certain number of points. But it's all in real time. You flip the three theme cards. Then you you go. And then you start like arranging and, and spinning and flipping your tiles. And trying to arrange a legal uh, placement of tiles 
and then try to match all of the artwork and stuff on your tiles to the different three themes, which sometimes are gonna be at odds with each other. So you kind of have to you know, uh, take a shot at what the best scoring is gonna be for you. And just an amazing, really fantastic game. It plays very, very quick, it's tense. Uh, there's a lot of good kind of race elements to it. And I think this is one that you could play, cr frankly, across the gamut. Uh, with folks as you know, they're heavy gamers that wanted to have a filler game into you know family and casual gamers uh, to really play this again and again. I played it several times in a row and was like, let's play it again, let's play it again, and so I, I couldn't get quite enough of it. Uh, so that's uh, Nine Tiles Panic from Oink Games. I'm not sure how that's going to come over here to uh, the U.S. I mean, if anybody from BoardGameGeek.com is watching, I think this is probably a good uh, ripe candidate for the Geek Store. I know they've done that before with some Oink games, and I would 100% be in full support if they could drop that one into uh, into the Geek Store. I have a copy myself, so I'll probably get a review done along with a couple other of these on the list uh, probably next week. Uh, as I, as I kind of, I want to play them a little bit with the game group and family and stuff like that. Uh, but Nine Tiles Panic, you'll definitely see more about that uh, as we go along. And so the number seven is was a huge surprise for me, and this is the Funko Verse game. Uh, it, this one's a weird one. I didn't really expect anything out of this one. Uh, so what it is is Funko Pop miniatures that have been packaged into a variety of different games. So they have kind of like a main box, I guess you could call it. It's the DC Universe one where it has Batman and Batgirl. And then also in addition, it has the Joker and Harlequin. And they're Funko miniatures of these characters. And then you get a board and some cards and things that match the characters. And you play a variety, I think four different kinds of scenarios. There's like capture the flag and some area control and stuff like that. And then you, you can just play a very, you know, pretty simple uh, miniature game. I definitely, you could play this with kids, I think, no problem. Uh, definitely a very, very entry level gateway type thing. But then they have other boxes. One of which is the Golden Girls, if you remember the TV show from the 80s. It has Rose and Blanche, uh, two of my favorite Golden Girls. And uh, so you could play them, and then you could just do like a head-to-head -head Rose versus Blanche, which is <laughs> very thematic. And then uh, you could do that as kind of a one versus one, but then you could take and mix that one with Batman and Batgirl, or the Joker and Harlequin, or another set, you could get a Harry Potter set, or you could get uh, a Rick and Morty set. And the game I actually played of it was Rick and Morty, which was my team, versus the Golden Girls, Rose and Blanche. And I believe we played kind of an area control style scenario. And frankly, the mechanics are just really interesting. Uh, even though it's, like I'd say, it's, it's simplistic in a way, or, or it's entry level, but there's still some stuff to chew on. There's actually, we were strategizing. I was playing uh, with uh, Marty from Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and we were considering our strategy every single turn, as well as our opponents uh, across the table. Uh, the, so the, kind of the mechanical takeaway uh, from, I'll, I'll talk about that for a minute, and I want to get back to the theme, is, uh, so you have these actions, and you can move, and, you know, walk through these squares, and, and do challenges, and try to activate little scoring points, or flip controls of different areas, but each of the different characters has a little card, and maybe a couple of cards with special abilities, and equipment, and stuff, so when you add a character to your team, they come with these little tokens that are different colors, and so maybe I'm playing Rose and she's got a, a two yellows and a red token. And then you bring Batman and he's got uh, a yellow and two red tokens or something like that. And so when you combine them, you sort of are sharing that pool of tokens. 
And on your cards, you're gonna have like a yellow three or a red two or a blue four. So when you activate it, you take that token out of your pool and put it on this little track. So it you know, trickles down. So when I activate a red three, I put it on the three, then at the end of each turn, it drops down the track. So it's kind of like a cooldown idea. And so there's a little bit of sort of army building, if you will, to, you know, mix and match. You know, do you want to sort of synergize and combine your colors or do two disparate colors to sort of, you know, maybe have them counterbalance each other? And then there's a definite strategic, uh, you know, thought to timing when you're going to activate some of your bigger uh, abilities and how often you're going to add them. You know, do I, do we let Rose use her two yellow abilities and, you know, Batman's going to ignore his, he's going to keep working on the red abilities. So there's a lot kind of going on with that kind of stuff. And it's just very satisfying. I mean, getting back to the theme, we played Rick and Morty versus the Golden Girls and we used the board out of the Golden Girls box, which was like their condo. And, uh, you know, we were playing this this weird thing where Rick and Morty or whatever go through some weird portal and they end up in the Golden Girls thing and they have a fight. (laughs) You know, that is ridiculous. But it's also awesome and hilarious at the same time. And uh, somebody actually commented on one of my uh, daily videos and they said, wow, this looks like what I wanted Unmatched to be. And I was like, oh, yeah. And uh, Unmatched was actually a little bit of a disappointment. I was looking forward more to Unmatched going to the convention and then walked away thinking like, okay, so I've got two skirmish games. Both of them mix, you know, random IPs. Like in Unmatched, you have Bruce Lee versus Bigfoot and uh, Robin Hood. And this one, you've got, you know, the Golden Girls versus Rick and Morty versus Batman. And but the, all using the same system, all kind of interchangeable. And I walked away going, "Wow, I like the Funkoverse version a, a, a ton." And I don't understand. I didn't expect that. Uh, so I definitely recommend folks uh, take a look at it. And I think you can kind of get away with the funkiness and the weirdness because of just the wacky Funko Pop miniature thing, which I think is going to be attractive to some folks and probably not attractive to others. But uh, I thought it was a riot. It was a blast. So that is the Funkoverse uh, miniature game. And the next one is going to be the number six, and that is Copenhagen from Queen Games. This is another surprise. Uh, I had heard about this game going up to the convention, and I was actually with my friend Marco, and uh, he said he'd heard some good things too and actually had a, uh, took a look at it down on the floor and he was a little bit unsure about it, and so was I, because it looked like kind of a dry, basic Euro thing, you know, trying to match some colors and build some blocks. But man, this was really a fun and uh, somewhat deep game, kind of a light, medium Euro that was just fantastic. It kind of plays sort of like a a different take on Ticket to Ride, which was sort of off-putting, because it was like, man, I've seen this before. You either take cards of certain colors, or you play cards like in a set of colors, And instead of putting trains out, you stack these kind of Tetris blocks and you feed them down in this building. And then it's, you know, you try to build rows and columns and things with windows and try to cover up little bonus points to get special abilities and stuff like that. But I played this three times at the con and enjoyed every single time that I played it. There is a lot of kind of chunky and chewy strategies. If I do get a chance to review this one, I'll get more in depth on that. Uh, But as it stands, it was an amazing two-player game, 100% awesome and two-player. And I also played a four-player, and it was still really fun, but the two-player game, and I probably would guess that the three-player game uh, is probably pretty good too. 
uh, there are some really, really good, interesting back and forth, give and take, you know, sort of uh, positioning and jockeying that you can kind of control a little bit better with the two-player uh, game. But it was fantastic. We played a couple times back-to-back two-player and just had a, a great, great time with it. So that was uh, number six there, Copenhagen. Uh, number five is going to be Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. Uh, only had a chance to play this once, uh, but we played a full four-player game of it and really uh, sunk our teeth in it. I think we took a little bit longer than you normally would take, uh, but it was great to see a variety of different factions in this game. So it's I almost kind of wish it wasn't tagged with Imperial Settlers because to me... I don't know. I kind of I'm really conflicted about this because it reminds me a lot of Imperial Settlers, but it's also way different than Imperial Settlers. And so I'm sort of confused cuz for me, honestly, I have almost everything for Imperial Settlers. I think I'm missing one expansion. And I really Imperial Settlers is, was one of my favorite games. And this one I'm like, "Hmm, man, I feel like this is kind of replacing it." But it's also plays way different too. It's a, it's in some ways it's a little bit easier to get into because you don't do deck building, but there's still like a lot going on in different uh, some of the other different mechanics. So I don't want to get too bogged in the mechanics in this video. I believe yeah right. If you want to see all the mechanics, go watch. There's a watch it played video from Rodney Smith, and uh, so just go watch that. But I, and I would recommend you go watch it because if you're intrigued by this at all. Uh, that's going to give you, you know, obviously a real solid overview and breakdown of all the mechanics. There's a real interesting worker placement kind of thing going on. That's sort of a pseudo rondel slash worker placement. It does some really interesting and neat things. And then there's this kind of race sort of ninja grab aspect of sailing to different islands and trying to kind of loot and pillage treasure. But then you have all your little card, card combo stuff, um, you know, in the decks. Uh, but the decks are fixed. There's not something you can change and modify, which I miss actually in this game that exists, you know, in in Spades in Imperial Settlers. But I also like that I can bring this one to a game night uh, with folks that don't play Imperial Settlers all the time, but you know would still like to play it, but don't want to get into the deck building and trying to learn the deck that maybe I built for them. Uh, so it's easier to come and just drop in to a game night and say, "Here, take this deck." And then next time I can bring it again and again, and they can take the same deck, or they can try to play around with different decks. Uh, and the decks definitely are—I think there's seven different faction decks, and they're definitely asymmetric. That's for sure. They play out very differently. They win in very different ways. So even though there's no deck building, I feel like there's really going to be a fair amount of replay value. The, I don't remember the name of the faction I played. I believe it was. I don't know. There was like an igloo on the cover and, and the, the gal on there was like sort of had like an ice raft or something. Anyway, that faction, I feel like I would probably need three or four times just to play this, that faction to really uh, hone in and figure out what I want to do with it. And that's only one of like, I think there's seven factions. Um, so right there, you know, three, four times per faction. Now, granted, I think some of the factions are a little bit more... Uh, you know, obvious, let's call it. Uh, so maybe you wouldn't need three or four for each of them. Uh, but still, you're going to get like 20 plays out of this, I think, to sort of figure it out. And they got more factions coming. So I really think Empire, Empires of the North is something to look out for. And 
I should have a copy on on the way to me, uh, so I'm going to get a chance to dig into that more. And I think likely, I mean, based on my first play, I'll give I'll get a chance to uh, do a more in depth review on that after I played it around with some more of the factions as well. Uh, so that was number five, Empires of the North. Number four was a chance a, a game that actually wasn't released at the con. It was announced by Fantasy Flight, and I think it's coming out in October. And that is Marvel Champions. It's a Marvel. Uh, cooperative living card game but I did have a chance to demo it and play a game of it on actually Wednesday night and really enjoyed it uh, when they announced it you know it was uh, I, w- I wasn't really quite sure what to think of it and it plays a lot like the Lord of the Rings LCG and the Arkham Horror LCG very very similar mechanics where you kind of build up threat and sort of tamp down fires and fight bad guys and you you, you have your deck that you've built beforehand and you try to like you know kind of go through scenarios there's not really quests in this game but there's there's scenarios and things that you can go through but this did kind of for me enough differently and the fact that it has the Marvel theme to it um, you know, was sort of uh, what, what drew me in. Um, so I, I posted a couple of videos talking about it, talking about my impressions and then kind of a, a little sort of in and out video demo gameplay of it from the presenter at Fantasy Flight So for some more details. But for me, after I had some more time to kind of think about it and talk to some other folks that had a chance to try it, um, it to me, you borrow some of the mechanics from Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror, but it feels more like legendary marvel legendary from upper deck but right away even after one play of this i played legendary i don't know seven or eight times and well i also played like the aliens and stuff like that too a couple times but after one play of this lcg i was already like i like this way more than legendary um now legendary is more of a deck building game whereas this is obviously an lcg and this to me feels a little bit more integrated and thematic and more in tune with like the superhero thing. So a couple of takeaways I want to talk about with this one is first of all, is the deck building. So you take Spider-Man or Captain Marvel or Iron Man or She-Hulk. I don't remember, there was like one or two other characters in the base box. And you take that character's small deck of cards and then you pair that character with an aspect of like justice or aggression or leadership or whatever and so you can sort of have that character be in kind of a certain mood if you will so maybe spider-man this time is really aggressive and she hulk is, is is not feeling so aggressive today she's going to feel more justice oriented right and uh so you kind of play around with the the character of the character right you can play around with their their different uh, personalities like they through the course of playing games with those different decks you can you can make them more three-dimensional which is, that's really a neat thing. I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, that's a really cool thing because it's always like you're playing the the prototype, stereotype, you know, boilerplate version of a character a lot of times. Whereas if you read the comics, they're very three-dimensional usually, and they go through different aspects of their lives. You know, they've, they've got their sort of alter ego and their private life, and then the superhero, and they go back and forth. So I'm like, that's a very kind of cool little aspect that they sort of thrown in this game. And to kind of double down on that, you can actually flip between your superhero side and your alter ego side. And when you do that, you can, at once per turn, you can flip. And then you can kind of trigger different things and the villain's gonna behave different ways. So if you're on superhero side, you're gonna be in their face. And so that's gonna be the scene where you're having your throwdown. If you go back to your 
uh, your alter ego, your private side, you kind of recover some health. You can maybe do some manipulation. So like when you're Iron Man, you become Tony Stark. And when you're, you know, Spider-Man, you can become Peter Parker and so on. And you can do some of your more, your more subtle things, your more human side is going to kind of come out. And that's a really interesting aspect. Uh, so it's got this kind of subtle stuff in there that that's interesting. Oh, the other thing is that, so when you bring your character to play a scenario, so you play against Rhino doing this scenario or this scheme, and I'm going to bring along my Spider-Man baggage. So stuff that Spider-Man has is going to get shuffled into the villain deck and to the, the scheme deck. And so certain things that are sort of kind of following him along are going to pop out during your scenario that you're playing through, which is really neat. That's a very, also a very comic book thing to do because if you're reading, you know, Spider-Man or X-Men or something, you're reading kind of the general story there. But then when you have that team up, that crossover of, you know, Wolverine and She-Hulk, you know, they team up, those storylines are going to kind of intersect, but they don't completely go away. And you have that sort of crossover and that carryover and the, the bleeding of stories uh, across. And that's just really, really neat and fascinating to me. It's kind of the room that they've kind of given themselves to play with there. So anyway, if you want to talk more mechanics and stuff, go watch some of those other videos. Uh, but that's the number four. There are Marvel Champions coming out, I think, in October, they said. Uh, so definitely take a look at that. And so the number three, actually, is another Fantasy Flight game that I had no idea was coming out. It was also announced at the show. I had a chance to play this, actually, uh, a few full games of this. And this is Arkham Horror Final Hour. And frankly, when it was announced, I was like, hmm, okay, all right, cool. Another Arkham game. You say it takes about an hour. Fine. That seems cool. Whatever. Uh, so then, uh, you know, I got uh, the copy in the, again, the Board Game Geek Hotness Room. And it was like, okay, let me read this. And then I read the rules. The rules aren't very long, six, seven, eight, maybe pages. And I was like, hmm, this seems weird. And then a couple of friends of mine showed up and we said, let's, they're like, well, I want to try that. Let's play. And I was like, okay. I said, well, there's a couple of weird things here. Not too sure about it, but they were like, you know, they got a good attitude. I got a good attitude. Let's play it and try it. And after the game, we played a three-player game of it. We are all like, that was great. <laughs> we lost miserably. No, no, not that miserably, but we lost, you know, it, it beat us for sure. And it was like really very interesting. Now, I do definitely go check the geek list uh, or playlist here uh, linked below for this. The video will be in there. And I kind of gave a very brief uh, rules overview. I could cover basically all the rules. And, uh, you know, so it took about three, four minutes. And so that's kind of the gist of the rules. But I've been thinking about it since I did that video. And one of the things that they mentioned in the uh, presentation that I didn't see actually in the game that we played, because I only played games of that first intro scenario with people. I played with three players and four players. And the one thing that they mentioned that we didn't see, but now I'm sure must be in some of the other scenarios, like we set up Cthulhu and played the basic normal uh, difficulty scenario, is that sometimes the scenario will have it where you, uh, you're trying to stop the ritual, but the ritual doesn't get stopped, and then it'll switch into like a completely different mode. Now, in this particular one, we didn't see that. Once the ritual kind of goes off or we, we don't prevent it, then you know we kind of we kind of lost right away but it does some really funky stuff with the mechanics it's basically a cooperative deduction game so it's like you're playing kind of cooperative clue but with you know modern mechanics and it's really just 
something completely different, I think. And I think, uh, you know, I saw a lot of comments on those videos are like, just, you know, God, blah, whatever, Arkham Horror Pass, never mind, you know, screw that, what's wrong with Fantasy Flight games? Which, mm, not to that uh, level of vitriol, but had similar, uh, you know, thoughts going through my head. It was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, really give this one a shot. I think folks should give this at least a play or two. And man, we were just sucked in by this. And it was just a riot to play. And the, sort of the takeaway, separating mechanics out for me is as you progress through the game, you're going to just get your butt kicked over and over and over again. But you always have like this release valve where you can sort of like push your luck and try to just solve the riddle, so to speak. And if you can do that, if you can solve it, you can solve the mystery that gets hidden at the beginning of the game, then you can pull off, you know, like an amazing win. Uh, and it really it's kind of like threading the needle to push your luck. So it doesn't play out anything like an Arkham Horror or an Elder Tour or anything like that. It's a very different style feel, and I definitely recommend folks give it a try. I don't think it's going to be for everybody, but it's really something different, and I think, I think most folks should give this one a shot. So that's number three, Arkham Horror Final Hour. Uh, so number two now is a game that was, I said was my top most anticipated game of Gen Con. And that is, I'll show you the box here, is Watergate. And you will definitely be seeing a review of this uh, next week. Had a chance to play it a couple times at the convention. Uh, one side, at once as Nixon, once as the Washington Post. Wow, this game is really fun. It's really good. I, I sort of take issue with folks that say, oh, it's Twilight Struggle in 30 minutes. Sort of. <laughs> the card play is very similar to Twilight Struggle, if you're familiar with that. You can play a card for the event. You can play a card for the ops points. That's great. What you're trying to do is build this web of evidence back to Nixon from these sort of key conspirators. And you're trying to kind of, you know, manipulate that and sort of get access to that and build those webs. And Nixon's trying to block those off and, you know, bring people into his fold so they don't flip on them and all this kind of stuff. That whole aspect of the game, which is really the whole game. I mean, obviously it's driven through a very Twilight Struggle-ish card play. But it's not like Twilight Struggle in 30 minutes. It is just not. There are other games like that, like 13 Days. And I can think of two or three others that I can't think of the name of that have come out over the last several years that are definitely Twilight Struggle in 30 minutes because it's the same kind of idea of controlling push and pull influence in areas, you know, or whatever, it's Cold War themed. This is not, this takes a very, they takes that, that card mechanism for sure, but then it applies it to a very different style game of this kind of route building and route blocking thing. And it is frankly great. As the uh, editor or as the Washington Post you feel Nixon in your teeth, in your fangs. You've got him by the throat. And you're really trying to horn, on, horn in on this jerk. I'm not making a political statement. I'm taking a, talking a theme statement here. The editor of the Washington Post is after him. And it feels like that. Like you're going at me and you're, you're getting in and you feel like the excitement of like, we're going to crack the case. We're going to crack the story open. We're going to get it. And then playing as Nixon... Literally, you can feel a sense of paranoia as they start to draw connections to it, towards you. As they slowly, you know, sort of that that spiral, that web, they start it starts to kind of get through your defenses. And uh, as you sort of like, you know, kind of sort of force people to come into your side, like there's some real interesting kind of implications there. Just in the in, it definitely in the abstraction of the game, but it's 
it's there. To me, all that is there, and it feels very, very different and fun to play either side of it. I really enjoyed playing as Nick. I lost as Nixon and won as the as the Washington Post. So I don't. Maybe it's easier for the Washington Post. Maybe not. But the the game that I lost playing as Nixon, it was down to uh, the wire. Absolutely down to the wire. And I definitely could see things that I would have played differently uh, as Nixon for sure. It, this is a game I definitely recommend anybody should play. Anybody should play because it's it's not too complicated. It's, you know, like I said, it's a 30, 45 minute maybe card game. The rules are very clear. Uh, it's not too tricky to pick up and learn. It's going to require repeated plays, I think, to really get after, you know, kind of understanding all the decks because each side has their own deck. And so you really want to know, like, what they can do because there's some stuff like when I was playing Nixon. I really got off to a good start. And, you know, I felt like, wow. I was like, man, I'm really, this is, I'm just hammering, you know, the Washington Post player. But then you could kind of see the kind of give and take and the kind of the, the momentum sway and certain things. And I was like, well, if I'd have done this and that, then I definitely would have won the game. But, you know, back and forth with everything. So it's one of those things where, like, there's only, like, what is there, like 20 cards in each deck. And so you can kind of know what's going on in their deck and stuff. And that will, I think that's just going to add to the replay value of it. Uh, so that's Watergate. Uh, definitely uh, take a look at that one. I'll definitely do a more in-depth review of it next week uh, for sure. So that's going to bring us to our number one game, which I also picked up. And this is Medium from Greater Than Games. And this to me was uh, by far the game of the convention. Just by far. And I've played so many games of this. I mean, maybe at least a dozen. I played it nonstop every single day. Uh, with with multiple people now not every single person liked it but most people liked it so i could explain this if if there's not like a decent review up by the time you see this uh i'll explain like so i'm i'm not going to explain the scoring the scoring is sort of pointless especially if you play two players there's no reason to score you just play for fun which i would 100 do i would play i would sit and play this for an hour just two player back and forth to seeing how we how good we could get uh, but what happens is, so I've got a hand of six cards, you've got a hand of six cards. All they have is one word on them. I play the card with a word, maybe it says turtle. I think I used this example in another video, that's okay. Uh, and then you play a card that says boil. So turtle and boil. And we sit there, we think a minute, they say, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Three, two, one, we say a word. And maybe we say the same word, maybe we both say soup. And then we win, we get some points. Especially we get some a lot of points because it's our first guess and we got it on our first guess. But maybe we miss it. Well, I said stew and you said soup. So those become our two new words. And so stew and soup, stew and soup. Okay, we think, we think, we think, we think. Are you ready? You ready? Three, two, one. Bam, you say the word. If you don't get it that time, you get one more shot. But then the points go down. And there's some different ways to play with a round robin. You can play in teams or kind of play left or right and all the stuff. That's in the rules. It is so friggin' fun. It is just a blast to play this. Uh, it's awesome when you get it the first time, and sometimes it seems like it's obvious based on the words, but then you're still not sure. So, But when you get it, it's still fun. And sometimes it's awesome when you get it on the last word because you've sort of worked and gotten your way to that same kind of cohesion, that same telepathy. I can think of one instance where... Uh, um, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. So we missed and we missed. And then before the last one, I jumped out into left field. 
and I threw up a word that was like, it was barely in the ballpark. But I kind of knew that my partner was going to be, they were going to be outside the ballpark too because we'd really kind of missed. We were almost like too close. So we couldn't really think of a word because you can't reuse any of the words that you've said. And so he went a little bit out and I went way out. And so we created like this new connection and then we got it. We sat there and thought for like a minute or so. It was, it was a little while. But just that the fact that you can kind of play around with it is great because that's what makes it a game. It's not just like just doing stuff and just thinking of a word and trying to come up with the obvious thing. You can kind of play and manipulate a little bit and try to sort of set up the next one because you know you're not going to get this one right, right? So you just know you're like, we're so far apart, we're not going to get anything right. But then you can sort of take and go get a chance. It's like, okay, we're going to miss the next one probably. And then now we're going to try to set it up so there's some, you can make some other connection. Some other neurons going to fire and then make that lightning bolt go through your brain. You know, it's so cool. It's just so cool how you can play this. And I played this a bunch of player counts. Two, four, two, three, four, five, and six. Yeah, I played all the player counts. And every single player count uh, was fun. If you have odd number of players, you can sometimes make it a little awkward. But if you have an even number of players, you can just do it simultaneously, left to right. It's it's in the rules. Uh, I don't think the simultaneous part's in the rules, but I'll explain that in the review part. But yeah, 100% fantastic. Uh, definitely recommend Medium. That to me, that's a no-brainer pickup. I think this this game will be in my collection um, forever, 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 forever. It's just too damn fun. <laughs> all right, that's my Gen Con recap. Thanks for watching all the other videos. If you missed any of them, take a look at the geek list or playlist below. And if you're listening on the podcast, uh, there you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. And, um, you know, we'll have some reviews. Thanks. <laughs>